Hello, welcome back to Raw Vegan Lens. I'm your host, Sherry Michelle. Let's go. I'm going to read again today just because I'm having so much fun doing this. I wanted to say before I forget that the other uh, Russian raw foodist that I couldn't think of the name of uh, in the last episode is Tanya Zavasta. I saw her speak around the same time I first saw Victoria Botenko speak, and um, Tanya was the one that did... um, she was touring, uh, her husband was touring with her, and um, he would mix up the green smoothie with mango. I think it was um, kale and mango. It was so good. She handed out samples. And she said, this is what I always associate with her, uh, don't throw away a perfectly good man just because he won't eat grass with you. <laughs> I love it. Um, again, if anyone feels like I'm hitching my wagon to someone else's star, um, please let me know. Send me an email. It's sheri dot m-e-s-h-a-l at gmail.com. Uh, and if you come to listen to some chapters and none of these are here anymore, it's because someone's asked me to take them down. Um, I looked at kind of the guidelines. I'm not making anything off of my podcast. I don't have any sponsors or anything like that. I'm actually losing money on my podcast because I just like to connect with like-minded people and um, talk about my raw journey. And I, so I'm not making anything off of sharing other people's work here, um, mainly Victoria Botenko's, um, but some may feel that it's unethical. And I, as as an author myself, um, keep thinking about this and, like I said earlier, if someone was sharing my work, at first I think I would be a little bummed that they didn't like ask me first, so I probably should have asked first, but I think the answer would have been no. <laughs> I think it's better to beg forgiveness maybe in this case than, um, than to ask for approval. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is unethical, uh, but I... I'm getting a lot out of rereading this, and I hope you're getting a lot out of listening to it. And we'll just keep going for now. And if we're asked to stop, we're asked to stop. And we will have enjoyed the journey um, that we had. Chapter 5. Why is it hard to love greens? Life expectancy would grow by leaps and bounds if green vegetables smelled as good as bacon. Doug Larson. Green leaves were never included in our food pyramids as a separate group because humans never looked at them as real food. Carrot tops have several times more nutrition than the roots, but the opinion that greens are for rabbits, sheep, and cows has been preventing us from eating carrot tops in our salads. We routinely throw away the most nutritious part of the carrot plant. The roots are much more palatable to human taste than the tops because the roots contain significantly more sugar and water. The tops are bitter from the abundant amount of nutrients in them. The following charts on pages 33 through 35 clearly show the nutritional supremacy of the leaves over the roots in three different plants, beets, parsley, and turnips. The only three categories in which roots are higher than leaves are are calories, carbohydrates, and sugar, except for turnips. These are the three components that make roots more palatable to us than the tops. I hope you'll be impressed with some of these figures. For example, calcium in beet tops is seven times higher than in its roots, 
and vitamin A is 192 times higher than in the tops, times higher in the tops than in the roots. In turnips, vitamin K in the tops is 2,500 times higher than in the roots. Wow, wow, wow. The compelling difference between nutrients in these two parts of the plants is obvious and indisputable. Think about thousands of tons of highly nutritious food, the green tops of the root vegetables that are wasted year after year due to our ignorance, while the majority of people suffer from chronic deficiencies. Naturally, one question comes to mind. Why don't greens taste good to us? Isn't our body wise enough to intuitively crave what it needs? Only a few times, a few times in my life have I've met people who have loved and craved greens. They told me that their parents didn't give them stimulating foods, such as candy or fried foods, when they were babies. I consider these friends of mine to be the luckiest people in the world. They're ecstatic about a piece of cucumber or a fresh tomato. Looking at snow peas makes them salivate. My friend Vanessa says, Simple food has always tasted best to me. You really cannot appreciate the essence of a food unless you eat it all by itself. Then you can really enjoy its true taste. When my mom and I go to parties, we usually just eat the green leafy garnish from underneath the cuts of cheese. (laughs) I would prefer it if the kale was on top of the cheese, but at least it's there. However, most people would be distraught if they came to a party to find only cucumbers, tomatoes, and peas, or even worse, just that bed of greens. It seems clear to me that if we do crave the foods with stimulants like sugar, caffeine, white flour, it means that our intricate bodily homeostasis has become distorted. In the last few centuries, the human body has changed. The foods that have more stimulating tastes have become more appetizing to us than natural unprocessed foods. However, everyone recognizes the reality that we cannot thrive on chocolate and pasta alone, no matter how tasty they seem to be. From my research, I've learned that many people would not agree to a bland or bitter diet for the sake of feeling better, even if they have a life-threatening illness. Yet many are continuing to inquire, what are we supposed to eat? How are we supposed to feed our children in order to achieve better health? Remarkably, green smoothies are not only nutritious, but also delightfully palatable, even to children. I strongly believe that it is possible to restore our ability to like and crave healthy foods. We can learn to live on a natural, healthy diet, even though we have developed some powerful, unnatural cravings. Chapter 6. Greens, a new food group. I wonder how greens such as kale, romaine lettuce, spinach, carrot tops, and others got classified as vegetables. I need to close that window. I just realized that was open. My apologies. sorry but you know me I don't edit but I do like good sound quality why do we call many completely different food groups vegetables when they look different and contain different sets of nutrients a produce manager from a local health food store complained to me that his customers often got confused when looking for a particular ingredient among 150 plus pieces of produce all gathered under the single name vegetables This man had worked in the produce section for more than 10 years. He suggested that the produce section be divided into several different smaller groups of plants with specific similarities like roots. 
carrots, beets, daikon, etc., etc. Flowers, broccoli, cauliflower, artichoke, etc. And non-sweet fruit, cucumber, zucchini, squash, tomato, etc. Combining foods with similar nutritional values would not only help shoppers to find necessary ingredients faster, but also would help them to become familiar with more plants and increase their variety of vegetarian food consumption. Obviously, people have never considered plants to be important enough to be classified properly. Even at the regular supermarket, one can see that other food departments have more detailed classifications. For example, the meat department is divided into poultry, fish, and meat, which in turn is subdivided into smaller sections like veal, ground meats, bones, subproducts. Every item is carefully categorized, specifying which part of the carcass it is from. Cheeses have their own specification. Nobody would ever classify cheese and meat together in one group, like sandwich food, because it would be inconvenient and unclear. Yet this kind of confusion and error continually occurs in the produce section. Some errors are quite serious, to such a degree that they could cause health problems. As an example of this, placing starchy roots in the same category with tomatoes and rhubarb could prompt customers to make improper food combining choices. Many nutritionists believe in the benefits of proper food combining. For example, starchy tubers combined in one meal with sour fruits or vegetables can create fermentation and gas in our intestines. Placing greens in the same category as vegetables has caused people to mistakenly apply the combining rules of starchy vegetables to greens. Driven by this confusion, many concerned people wrote to me inquiring if blending fruits with greens was proper food combining. They had heard that fruits and vegetables did not mix well. Yes, to combine starchy vegetables with fruits would not be a good idea. Such a combination can cause gas in the intestines. However, greens are not vegetables and greens are not starchy. In fact, greens are the only food group that helps us digest other foods through stimulating the secretion of digestive enzymes. Thus, greens can be combined with any other foods. In addition, it has been recorded that chimpanzees often consume fruits and leaves off of the same tree at the same feeding time. In fact, Jane Goodall and other researchers have observed them rolling fruits inside of leaves and eating them as sandwiches. Yet there is another great misconception which results from placing greens and vegetables into the same category. Such inappropriate generalizations have led researchers to the erroneous conclusion that greens are a poor source of protein. Contrary to this popular belief, greens are an excellent source of protein, as you will see in the following chapter. I propose that we separate greens from vegetables, now and forevermore. Greens have never received proper attention and have never been researched adequately because they have been incorrectly identified as vegetables. We don't even have a proper name for greens in most languages. The name dark green leafy vegetables is long and inconvenient to use, similar to the animal with horns that gives milk. We don't have complete nutritional data about greens. For this book, I had to collect bits and pieces of information out of books and magazines from different countries, and I still don't have all the parts. I have not, for example, been able to find the complete nutritional content of carrot tops anywhere. Nevertheless, I have enough to draw some essential conclusions. Greens are the primary food group that match human nutritional needs most completely. In the following chart, please see a list of all essential minerals and vitamins that are recommended by USDA and a list of these nutrients available in kale and lamb's quarters, an edible weed. Based on this data, we can conclude that greens are the most essential foods for humans. 
I want to mention again, please just buy a copy of this book because these tables are fascinating. At uh, the back of the book, there are her recipes for incredibly delicious green smoothies. And she also has the testimonials from the Rosberg study, Roseburg study. So lots of great reasons to have your own copy of this and share copies. Chapter seven, abundance of proteins and greens. I submit that scientists have not yet explored the hidden possibilities of the innumerable seeds, leaves, and fruits for giving the fullest possible nutrition to mankind. Mahatma Gandhi. Every protein molecule consists of a chain of amino, amino acids. An essential amino acid is one that cannot be synthesized by the body and therefore must be supplied as part of the diet. Humans must include adequate amounts of nine amino acids in their diet. Professor T. Colin Campbell shows in his book, The China Study, that the US RDA for protein is greatly overestimated. Studies of the diets of chimpanzees compared to that of humans confirm the same truth. Chimpanzees maintain a fairly low and constant protein intake due to their focus on fruit. I've looked at the nutritional content of dozens of various green vegetables, and I was pleased to see that the aminos that were low in one plant were high in another. In other words, if we maintain a variety of greens in our diet, we will cover all essential aminos in abundance. Please look at the chart of the essential amino acid content in kale and lamb's quarters. I've chosen kale because it is available in most produce markets. Lamb's quarters is one of the most common edible weeds that grows in different climates. Most farmers should be able to identify lamb's quarters for you. In the left-hand column, you see the recommended amounts of essential amino acids for an average adult. In the right column, you see the amounts of those amino acids contained in lamb's quarters and kale. Please notice that the dark green leafy vegetables contain similar or larger amounts of amino acids and than the recommended daily allowance, RDA. As you can see from this chart, one pound of kale has even more protein than is recommended by the USDA per day. Yet by erroneously, erroneously placing all parts of plants, roots, stalks, blossoms, spears, greens, etc., into the category of vegetables, and assuming they have the same properties, we have mistakenly concluded that greens are a poor source of protein. This inaccurate conclusion has led to the malnourishment and suffering of people for decades. The lack of research on the nutritional contents of greens has led to a great confusion among the majority of people, including many professionals. Dr. Joel Furman wrote in his book, Eat to Live, even physicians and dietitians are surprised to learn that when you eat large quantities of green vegetables, you receive a considerable amount of protein. Where do I get my protein? Being aware of the confusion around vegetables, I understand why this became a popular question. Since most people were not aware that greens have an abundance of readily available essential amino acids, they were trying to eat from the other food groups known for their rich protein content. However, let me explain the difference between complex proteins found in meat, dairy, fish, etc., and individual amino acids found in fruits, vegetables, and especially in greens. It is clear that the body has to work a lot less when creating protein from the assortment of individual amino acids from greens rather than the already combined long molecules of protein assembled according to the foreign pattern of a totally different creature such as a cow or a chicken. I would like to explain the difference between complex proteins and individual amino acids with a simple, simple anecdote. Imagine that you have to make a wedding dress for your daughter. Consuming the comp complex proteins that we get from cows 
or other creatures is like going to the second-hand store and buying many other people's used dresses. Coming home and spending several hours ripping apart pieces of the dresses that you like and combining them into a new dress for your daughter. This alternative will take a lot of time and energy and will leave a great deal of garbage. You could never make a perfect dress this way. Consuming individual amino acids is like taking your daughter to a fabric store to buy beautiful new fabric, lace, buttons, ribbons, threads, and pearls. With these essential elements, you can make a beautiful dress that fits her unique body perfectly. Similarly, when you eat greens, you purchase new amino acids freshly made by sunshine and chlorophyll, which the body will use to rebuild its parts according to your own unique DNA. Contrary to this, your body would have a hard time trying to make a perfect molecule of protein out of someone else's molecules, which consists of, consist of totally different combinations of amino acids. Plus, your body would most likely receive a lot of unnecessary pieces that are hard to digest. These pieces would be floating around in your blood, like garbage, for a long time, causing allergies and other health problems. Professor W.A. Walker from the Department of Nutrition at the Harvard School of Public Health states that incompletely digested protein fragments may be absorbed into the bloodstream. The absorption of these large molecules contributes to the de development of food allergies and in immunological disorders. The ironic result of consuming the imperfect source of protein, animal protein, is that many people develop deficiencies in essential amino acids. Such deficiencies are not only dangerous to health, but they dramatically change people's perceptions of life and the way people feel and behave. The body, in producing neurotransmitters, uses some essential amino acids like tyrosine, tryptophan, glutamine, histamine, and others. Neurotransmitters are the natural chemicals that facilitate communication between brain cells. These substances govern our emotions, memory, moods, behavior, learning, learning abilities, and sleep patterns. For the last three decades, neurotransmitters have been the focus of mental health research. According to the research of Julia Ross, a specialist in nutritional psychology, if your body lacks certain amino acids, you may develop strong symptoms of mental and physiological imbalance and severe cravings for unwanted substances. For example, let us consider, tyro consider tyrosine and phenylalanine. I probably have the emphasis on the wrong syllable. <laughs> Phenylalanine. Phenylalanine. There we go. The symptoms of a deficiency in these amino acids can cause depression, lack of energy, lack of focus and concentration, attention deficit disorder. Very interesting. Most of you know I have ADHD. And I was thinking as I started that list, ADD. <clears throat> depression, lack of energy, lack of focus and concentration, and attention deficit disorder. Interesting. In addition, the symptoms of a deficiency in these amino acids may lead to cravings for sweets, starch, chocolate, aspartame, alcohol, marijuana, caffeine, cocaine, and tobacco. Using available data from official sources, I have calculated the amounts of these two essential amino acids that we can receive from either chicken or dark green endive. One serving of chicken has 222 milligrams of tyrosine. One head of endive has 205 milligrams of tyrosine. One serving of chicken has 260 milligrams of phenylalanine. 
one head of endive has 272 milligrams of phenylalanine. As you can see, contrary to the popular opinion, there are plenty of high quality proteins in greens. According to the explanation of Professor T. Colin Campbell, there's a mountain of compelling evidence showing that so-called low quality plant protein, which allows for slow but steady synthesis of new proteins, is the healthiest type of protein. For example, the protein from greens doesn't have cancer as a side effect, yet in many books, greens are not even listed as a protein source because greens have not been researched enough. Greens have sufficient protein to build muscle in grazing animals. I received this testimony from my very first American friend, a farmer with a BA in psychology from Harvard University, Peter Haggerty of Maine. When our sheep are in the barn eating concentrated feeds such as ground corn and oats, they gain weight much more quickly. But young lambs, once they reach 120 pounds or 90% of slaughter weight, begin putting this concentrated food into fat rather than muscle, which is not advantageous for the consumer who has to trim this fat off and throw it away. If the lambs are grass-fed, they grow more slowly, but they can reach full slaughter weight with very little fat. So my observations are concentrates seem to put on easily burnable fats and grasses put on quality muscle. In summary, greens provide protein in the form of individual amino acids. These amino acids are easier for the body to utilize than complex proteins. A variety of greens can supply all the protein we need to sustain each of our unique bodies. So as I'm rereading this, I am remembering some of these things that she said, um, but a lot of it I had forgotten. So again, it's really great to reread. And um, full transparency, I'm not raw right now. I'm really struggling with food addiction right now. So don't feel like um, this is, oh, I don't know, unachievable or don't feel like, um, like you have so far to go. You can turn things around pretty quickly. I have many, many times and I am going to try the great cure again. I've yet to make it more than a day and a half. I usually make it to the evening of the second day. And yeah, I'm really struggling. I just think that my gut biome is uh, in need of uh, the grape cure. <laughs> so I think I'm going to leave off here because I think um, my partner's waking up from a nap and I just wanted to read a little more today and I'll be back tomorrow with more wherever you are in your journey and just be kind to yourself and know that the fact that you're here listening to this is a really good sign and you are moving in the right direction in some capacity and if you want to get there you will get there it's not a race I've been working at this a really long time and I do better when I'm on my own away from social situations, but that's not, that's not life. We're with our friends and family and partners and animals and, and coworkers. And we have to learn to navigate. Um, so be kind to yourself, be patient with yourself. I'm trying not to judge myself too harshly, um, but I have been on and off raw for 18 years 
In 2000, I bought Giuliano's raw cookbook. That was my first experience with raw, and I just thought it was one super disciplined, eccentric dude. (laughs) I had no idea it was an actual lifestyle, that there were people out there, many people that were, um, well, I wouldn't say many, but groups of people, families, um, communities who were living the raw vegan lifestyle. I didn't understand that until 2006, and that's when I started, quote-unquote, going raw. And I've been on and off and on and off many, many, many times. I'd say thousands of times, really. Sometimes it was, you know, I was trying and failing, like, daily for weeks at a time. Um, Sometimes I would go months without going back to it, but I always go back to it. So I just wanted to remind you of this, that it's not an easy thing for me. Victoria Batinko's actually said every time you go off it and go back on it, it's it's harder each time. And I kind of wish I'd never heard her say that, but I, I, I have to agree with her. I think that that's probably true. But it's something that I really want to do because now more than ever, when my niece passed away in May of last year, just um, at the end of May, a couple days before her birthday, um, it was a really hectic time. Like, I really just didn't want to be alive. I didn't want to go on living without her, but I had to. I had to make arrangements, and all of that stuff kind of puts you in autopilot, and I had a lot of things to take care of, and I had people to take care of. We were all in such shock. And in the midst of all of that, um, I was feeling kind of like um, nauseous. And uh, I said to my aunt, I wonder if my blood sugar is really low. And I had not felt well when I was um, the previous few days before everything happened. I had been um, animal sitting a friend's dogs in Tennessee and cats. And uh, I had been pretty sick down there. And I thought it was this kind of autoimmune thing acting up again. And uh, I think it was actually the diabetes because I, my aunt thought I should check my blood sugar and we found out it was like 246. And I was really shocked. Uh, I couldn't believe it. It had never been higher than like 120 before. And that was really unusual. But I had been pre-diabetic for, for a few years um, my longest stretch raw vegan was in 2015 for like eight months, but I belonged to an online group. And so I had a lot of support, but there are things about that group that, you know, it was very, very strict and there was shaming and, you know, I did that group off and on for like 10 years. And, um, I think it was wise to put it behind me. Sometimes I miss the support, but I find that in groups, I just tend to shy away from that now because of that experience. Um, You know, we talk about the grape cure, and we read that book together, and we weren't allowed to have grapes while in that group because they were supposedly too high in sugar. We were allowed to have one banana a day because it resulted in, like, not quick enough weight loss. You know, there's just things I look back, and I'm like, you know, be careful of who you put on a pedestal, um, and listen to, um, use your brain, do your own research. I, I would not do that 
today, even though with the help of them, I went eight months and had like my best mini triathlon. I still believe I can do this on my own. It's interesting to me, you know, the malnutrition makes ADHD worse. Going back on raw makes it better, but the symptoms of ADHD make it really tough to go back on raw. Um, the impulsivity, um, yeah, is the biggest one, but it's not impossible. And I have faith that I can do this and I'm just going to keep at it because I know this is right for me. I'm not saying it's right for everyone. I don't know that. I have no proof. I mean, yes, we have all this research here, um, which is basically telling us for humans, this is the way to go. But everyone's on their own path, making their own decisions. They're on their own journey. So we need to be respectful of that. All I know is that this is the path that I want to be on. And I need to be stronger and more committed. And especially if I'm sharing this with other people. Um, I thank you for your time here today. You could have done a lot of things with this half hour, but you were here with me again. And I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for that. And if you feel that I should not be reading from other people's books, uh, then send me an email at sherry.michelle at gmail.com. S-H-E-R-I dot M-E-S-H-A-L at gmail.com. And, and if you want to let me know anything else for that matter, um, and follow me, uh, that would be great. Um, I, it's not like I have a ton of followers. <laughs> I have 15 followers. I always joke that it's just like me and one other person listening, but we're growing a little bit here. And um, I just feel that It's important to come together through this information, and I like doing it in this manner. Um, I saw someone reading books about past life regression on TikTok, and that's when the idea dawned on me um, that I could share my favorite raw vegan books and hopefully not ruffle any feathers or step on any toes and just spread the word because it's a lot of great research lot of great stories and experiences and I think it's just a great thing to share. Have a great day.